Greetings and welcome to the Source of Music, where we explore the power of music to lift us up and help us feel good. I'm your host, Prima J, and today we're experiencing the music of one of Israel's most popular singer-songwriters, Noah, who has a concert coming up in San Francisco on Sunday, November 6th. We'll also be speaking with this unique artist about her music and her life. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Expressed by the powerful 
delightful voice of Noah, who together with her music partner, Gil Dore, creates music that embraces elements of popular music, jazz, folk, classical, and more often than not, something mystical from deep within. I had the opportunity to speak with Noah the other day, and I asked her about her personal history. So your parents had immigrated to Israel from Yemen, and you were born in Tel Aviv and moved with your family to New York at the age of two? Just at, to say, my it was my great-grandparents that oh, came from Yemen okay. <laughs> in 1890. Wow. And I was born a third-generation Israeli, yeah, and then moved to New York, as you were saying. As a teen, you decided to move back to Israel without your family. So mm-hmm. what prompted that decision? Well, um, first of all, we had always grown up at home. Um, with the understanding that my parents were going to return to Israel and all of us would move back to Israel at some point. My parents never really wanted to um, um, settle permanently in the United States. We were very happy to have the opportunity to live in America, and my father, of course, had the chance to get a higher education. He graduated from Columbia University and then got a, a wonderful job, and this was something that he never could have achieved in Israel. But um, culturally, linguistically, um, um, even religiously, my parents felt very, very um, connected to Israel. But they never seemed to move back. So I always had this this feeling of being sort of in limbo with the United States. I loved being in America, but we were always seemed to be on our way back home, and that never happened. So when on a summer vacation, I met this wonderful young man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was just fifteen. Then I said, okay, I fell very deeply in love with him. And I said, okay, well, this is the time I'm in love. And anyway, my parents always seem to want to move back. So I'll be the first one and I'll move back to Israel and then they'll come after. And so I just, you know, made this whole plan of how I would be able to return to Israel by myself. I, um, I got accepted to a very fine boarding school in Jerusalem and I did the examinations I needed to do, and I got my aunt to be my legal guardian. And I said to my parents, well, that's it. I'm, I'm moving back. Where, of course, the major, major impetus was this guy, which I was in love with. <laughs> but also, you know, culturally, and, and that my whole childhood had been directed towards returning home. And that's what I felt I was doing. The good news is, by the way, that this guy, this who was my first boyfriend, is today my husband, still, And uh, we're very happily married, and we have three children. (laughs) Sounds like fate, if you believe in such. Yes, um, I think so. I think so. (laughs) How did your your family, your mom and dad, how do they feel about you moving back by yourself? Well, they were very worried at the onset, um, but they realized very quickly that I was managing well. And um, I was taken care of. I had my aunt and also my, my extended family, and I was in a very good boarding school. And, and then I had this wonderful boyfriend, and they knew that I was very happy. They could see that I was flourishing. And 10 years later, they, they moved back as well. So you were the impetus. I ended up being so, yeah, yeah. Concentrate on all that 
like the stars that sparkle in the night Like my eyes when they are ready for your love I wiggle my toes in the warm, warm sand I hold the sunlight in my hand I tickle my daughter watch her laugh We skip together down the path And all of God's creation comes alive and that you actually had musical talent? Ooh, uh, very early on. I started singing and writing songs, actually, writing poetry and putting my poetry to music. In the second grade, third grade, I was already writing a lot of, of music and, and, and poetry and singing in the school choir and getting noticed for that. Um, every school event, I was asked to write a song, and I loved doing that. And um, yeah, there are still people that remember me from, from the school choir to this day. But it, I never thought I would make a career of music. It was very much in my blood. But I was interested in an academic career, and I wanted to study English literature or physics and mathematics. Both of these fields are very close to me, and I love them very much. But as I grew older into my teens, my musical talent just totally overtook everything else. It, it, it was like a D-book, you know, like some kind of a of a spirit much stronger than me. And then I started feeling that I had been chosen by music to be its uh, loyal servant. <laughs> and I have very much lived my life in that way.
I'm Prima J, and today we're speaking with Israel's premier singer-songwriter, Noah, who has collaborated with a virtual who's who of internationally acclaimed musical artists, such as Sting, Andrea Bocelli, Carlos Santana, Stevie Wonder, Pat Metheny, and so many others from the world music family. Let's get back to our conversation with Noah. Worldwide, you're known as Noah, but in Israel, you're actually better known by your given name. I don't want to mess it up. How do you actually pronounce your name? Well, yeah, my, my name is pronounced Achinoam. Oh, Achinoam Nini. Achinoam means sister of peace in Hebrew, so I guess, again, fate or destiny um, has played uh, its role in my life. And um, I've taken Noah, which is the heart of Achinoam, of course, because it's just so much easier to say and also a beautiful sound. But I had two other reasons for that. One is that Noah has a great story from the Bible, as Noah was one of four daughters of a man called Tzlofchad during the time of Moses. And when the father died and there was all this property and herds of, of, of cattle or whatever, there were no sons to inherit. So all of the property was going to be taken away from the daughters until Noah raised her voice and said, wait a second, why? Are we not able to manage, you know, these herds? We're able-bodied women. And so she confronted Moses with this, and Moses agreed. And she actually laid down the infrastructure for what would become women's rights in the Bible. She was the first feminist in the Bible. So I, I love that. And with time, Noah has also gained another meaning, and that it has become an acronym for not only Achinoam, which means that it's really the work of many people. It's a family. It's a group of people that have become my musical family that all work together to sustain this beautiful journey that we're all on. And I am very, very grateful to all of them. You've collaborated with your musical partner, Kildor, for since the, almost the beginning, huh? Yeah, from the beginning, yeah. And he's a guitarist, producer, co-writer, arranger. Um, and overall magnificent person. And brilliant, he's just brilliant music. Brilliant. So I'm so lucky. When and how did that collaboration begin? Well, Gil was my teacher for the one year that I spent in music school. <laughs> when I finished my military service, I went to the Ramon School of Music, which is sort of modeled after the Berklee School of Music in Boston, 
um, not Berkeley, <laughs> California, but mm-hmm. the other Berkeley in Boston. And it's a wonderful institution. Now it has really grown to more mammoth proportions and is, has had a huge impact on the Israeli music scene. But when I was going there, it was only in its third year. It was a very small school and relations between teachers and students were very, very close and informal. Teachers were always taking the talented students to gig with them, to play with them, to um, to co-write with them. And it was wonderful for us students to be able to interact in that way with our teachers. And that's how I got the chance to um, perform with Gil, um, who was, as I said, one of my teachers, also the artistic director of the school and one of the co-founders of the school. And um, we had such an incredible performance together and this amazing chemistry. And we, it was just, I was blown away. And Gil, too, I guess, was very, very happy and impressed. And what he did right after that first night was call Pat Matheny, which he knew, because Pat had been a guest at the school. He had done a master class at the school when he was performing in Israel. And tell him about me, because Pat had said, if you run into any interesting people, let me know. So I was so lucky to have been considered interesting in the eyes of this man, <laughs> Gil, mm-hmm. and to have him call Pat. And, and then I ended up meeting Pat in New York. I had gone. I was going to visit my parents in New York. And that's how it all started. Pat listened to the songs that I was writing at the time, and he loved them. And he decided to produce an album for me. And I told him that I would very much like to work with Gil because we had already started this. We had this great rapport between us. And, and Pat, in his infinite graciousness and generosity, said yes. He was totally interested in having Gil play guitar and do all the guitar work. He didn't for a moment suggest that it would be him doing all that, which would have been natural, actually. And so that's how we, we, we got this first great break. Um, it was an international record deal with um, Geffen Records um, through Pat Metheny and with his production. And, and with his blessing. And that's how we got started. If I were a desert flower All winter long I'd paint and cower But spring would make me sing My voice would ring as tiny buds begin to bloom In spring I'd blossom and forget the winter's gloom If I were a brook of water Kissed by the frost along my borders Spring would make me sing My voice would ring as I released my icy chains In spring I'd bubble and forget the winter's rains I'm only a child of man I'm only a child of man Just an innocent child of mine Don't look so surprised Is my shining glow Is the sunlight in the skies That is making it so Don't look so surprised Is my eyes shining glow Is the sunlight in the skies That is making it so If I were a joyful songbird
such an incredible person and musician and he and I have actually been having this ongoing conversation for the past 25 years <laughs> we never run out of what to say either linguistically or musically which and basically that's the same thing because when we make music we're actually talking that's what we do our phrasing and our means of communication is talking and we complement each other and complete each other i think in such a unique way I think both of us are also very much team people. We always believe that we is more important than me, even though these two words are mirror images of each other. For us, the we is on top. And um, we're always willing to give up something of ourselves um, in order to create something new that is the both of us. We're very much listeners, um, acute listeners. We listen to each other and we follow each other. Um, and our, And both of us have the philosophy that that we're in it to make the music great, not for the music to glorify us, but for us to glorify it. And that is what we have in mind and heart when we compose and we arrange and when we perform. And I think that is what is unique about what we do. You sing in six languages? My major language is English. It's still much easier for me to speak and write in English, but I have perfect Hebrew as well. And then I also have become quite fluent in Italian and Spanish and French, and I, I sing in those three languages. And I really love learning new languages. Maybe I can't become fluent in them, but I love understanding the music of a new language. So when I visit a new country, I try to learn at least one song in their language. So I've also sung in Chinese and in Japanese, and I've sung in, in um, a whole bunch of other languages from different countries that I visited. Um, but that's really been for the for the fun of it. Um, the languages that I mentioned are the ones that I, I, I'm more 
I'm, I feel freer singing. But I have a very special relationship with Italy. Um, I started performing there right at the onset, right in, in the first year of my career, and was immediately embraced by the Italian audience in, in an incredible way. And then I had all these opportunities to do really beautiful things in Italy, um, one of them being performing for Pope John Paul II at the Vatican, um, that you can Google and see me, a very young me standing in the Vatican in front of half a million people and uh, speaking in Italian, giving this message of peace um, and singing this Ave Maria that is the Bach Gounod version. But basically I wrote my own lyrics to it in English. I made it a sort of prayer for peace that belongs to all people. And Gil arranged it like a folk song and it became an enormous hit for us, this Ave Maria. It's like it's been performed all over the world and has, I think, touched the hearts of millions of people around the world. Take a 
And I performed for Pope John Paul II nine times after that um, on different occasions. They invited me again and again. I had private audiences with him. I think that something touched um, his heart in, in what we were doing, Gil, Gil and me, and we were so honored to have met, meet him again and again. And then later on, I also had the chance to perform for Pope Benedict and recently twice for Pope Francis, which means that I sang for three popes. <laughs> Which is so funny, considering that I'm a Yemenite Jewish girl from the Bronx. <laughs> and so many Catholics would love to have that honor. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and Pope Francis also is an incredible, incredible person. And um, in addition, I had the chance to write lyrics to and record the theme song from the amazing film, uh, Life is Beautiful, La Vita yes. Bella, the Roberto Benigni film, which also became an enormous hit um, for me and was translated to a whole bunch of languages and everything. And that, I think that's where it made me a household word in Italy. At that point, I was already deep into the heart of every Italian. And also constant touring in every little village and not only the big cities. I just love performing in Italy. And also a lot of peace activity. I, I had a chance to, to collaborate with Palestinian artists on Italian ground and, um, and to meet amazing artists and to, to, to participate in many different events related to peace. Um, and also um, to learn and to appreciate um, Italian culture, diverse Italian culture. So, for example, I, I created, a whole, I recorded a whole album of Neapolitan songs called Noapolis, which was very successful in, in Italy and I think made a lot of Neapolitans, they told me, made them very, very proud to be Neapolitan because here was this total stranger coming and treating their music so respectfully and lovingly. And um, I also um, have learned and recorded Sicilian songs and Sardinian songs and songs from the north of Italy. So eventually I was knighted by President Napolitano and I became the Cavaliera della Repubblica Italiana. I've been knighted by the <laughs> <a> Cavaliera, <laughs> which I'm very, very proud of. I just absolutely adore Italy. Alla fiera de mascatre, 
for peace has gotten you into a little, um, let us say... Trouble? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, Because as a peace activist who supports equal rights for Palestinians and even a two-state solution in Israel, your views Mm -hmm. are quite unpopular with some Israelis. And Mm -hmm. you are one of, I don't know if I can say few? You can say few. Unfortunately, you can say few, yeah. Yeah, few Israeli artists of your caliber who boldly and clearly take that stand. So how did this activism begin? Well, um, it began 20 years ago when I was invited to sing at a huge peace rally in Tel Aviv celebrating the Oslo agreements and um, strengthening the hands of both Yitzhak Rabin and Shimon Peres um, as they embarked on this journey that we all hoped would finally bring us to peace. And this was an incredible event. Um, By the way, there were already at the time no major Israeli artists listed on that event. And I was so surprised that I was actually the most popular artist there on that stage that night. But I was so happy and so proud to be able to sing in this event and to feel the great energy coming from the hundreds of thousands of people that were in in the center of Tel Aviv in our main square coming to support peace. And unfortunately, I guess everyone knows how that night ended, ended with the murder of Yitzhak Rabin. And this was such a huge trauma for me. Um, I just couldn't believe how an event that had started so beautifully and magnificently um, turned into a, a bloody disaster that we have not recovered from ever since. That night, I decided that, um, that it was not enough to just be a singer and a songwriter and an entertainer that I had responsibility as a person that could open people's hearts and had their ears um, and could maybe open their minds and that I had to speak out. And I started doing it and I've been doing it ever since. And I've been saying things that maybe some people don't like, but a lot of people love. And I know that I'm also the voice of many, many silent people who need to hear someone say these things loud and clear. And I'm very proud of that. And as for the objectors, you know, when I have a chance, then I meet with them and I talk to them and I try to communicate with them directly. And when I don't, I, I just continue on my path. I'm not deterred by people who try. You know, fear mongers are not people who will make me stray from my path. I, I believe very strongly in what I'm doing. Well, it's interesting for me to note that your music is not overtly political, but it's... It's not political at all. <laughs> it's, it's kind of all-embracing and nurturing instead of being accusatory and, and demanding. Oh, it's, a, exactly. it's a feminine approach. Thank you. You've made a, a beautiful point. And, um, you know, as we speak, I'm thinking to, to do something which maybe I would not normally do, but since we're on Skype and I have my computer in front of me, I would like to read you a translation of a beautiful poem I just did this translation yesterday. It's a poem by the Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish, the national poet of um, the Palestinian people, an incredible poet. I just have to read this to you. There will come a day, a different day will come, a feminine day, transparent, perfect in creation. 
There will come a day, a different day will come, a diamond of a day of sun and welcome celebration, and it will feel relaxed and right. Its shadow will be faint and slight. A day will come, a feminine day, a day of light. And on that day, from the breast of the stone, water will flow, no dust, nor agony, nor loss. And in the barrel of an abandoned tank, the dove will rest her head, then fly to build her little nest in a bed where lovers lie. That is beautiful. (laughs) That is just so beautiful. I just love it. I was reminded of it because you said feminine. But I have expressed myself in different ways. For example, are you aware of the collaboration that I did with the Palestinian singer Mira Awad? Yes. Right. So, for example, there, in the act of performing with this woman, inviting her to perform with me, which I did for the first time in the year 2000, and then inviting her again and again, and finally inviting her to write and perform with me the song of the Eurovision Song Contest, where I was invited to represent Israel. And I said, why don't you come with me and we'll represent Israel together, um, singing in Hebrew, English, and Arabic. And she agreed. And that was a very challenging moment for both of us. But I think we did a, a great thing. And we touched the hearts of many millions of people around the world, especially young people from Israel and young people from Arab countries. I actually wrote the song in English. It's called There Must Be Another Way. Um, and she translated part of it to Arabic and Gil to Hebrew. And, that, and we sang it in those three languages. There must be another, must be another There must be another way. The 
And again, the word peace is not mentioned in that song. But there are two ideas there, which are the ones that I was trying to put across. And one is, when I cry, I cry for both of us. My pain has no name. And this expresses something that I believe deeply in. And that is how important it is to mourn together, to recognize the other's pain, to be able to cry together, because after that, the laughter comes. And the second message, which is very clearly stated, is there must be another way. Does that mean that I exactly know what it is? No. Do I have the plan? No, I'm not a politician. No, and I would never want to be. But I know that there must be another way, and I'm going to work for that. Actually, peace is the way. Our goal is equal opportunity and equal rights. It's happiness and, and, and prosperity and security for everyone. And our way is peace. So there must be another way um, than the way that we are living right now, Israelis and Palestinians alike. To me, it, it kind of brings it all full circle to show that your art and your activism are actually one um, in the sense of it's all a communication of oneness, of unity, of caring for the whole as opposed to me and mine. Exactly. When I think of um, an artist, I mean a true artist, which I definitely consider you to be. Thank I, you. I think of someone who has the ability to reach into the soul or into the spirit and to share what he or she finds there from heart to heart. What do you think? I mean, does that resonate with you? It definitely does. Um, and I can probably add to that and say that for me, an artist is constantly dealing with perspective, challenging our perspective, um, forcing us to look very, very deeply into things, sometimes forcing us to look very closely, closing in, zooming in on something, and then it looks totally different, and sometimes forcing us to zoom out and see a much, much larger picture, and then it looks totally different. Sometimes turning things upside down or right side in, and constantly challenging our perspective, which is, I think, the most beautiful thing that an artist could do, so that we never take anything for granted, so that we start stop believing in isms and absolute truths, that we question things all the time. And that is a place of great humanity, because when you're able to constantly shift your perspectives and not get stuck in anything, in thoughts and in, in prejudices and in things that you were led to believe and maybe it might be rooted in nothing actually or in just a, like the spirits that have negative connotations to them rather than the positive ones which are life-giving. This is the place where we can find compassion and empathy. And that's why art, I think, has the incredible capacity to evoke compassion and empathy. And another thing that I see artists able to do and doing is artists have this double vector so on the one hand they put their hands in the mud they dig deep into things they're not afraid of getting dirty like children you know they smear themselves with the mud of life of every detail greedy detail of being human and they're not afraid of doing that and on the other hand they fly you know artists are birds and they fly high up above everything. And from that perspective, things look totally different. When you think that a bird flying above a country or countries will not see the border between them, she won't see anyone's race or religion. She sees the beauty of the landscape and the endless opportunities therein. And I think that is also a beautiful part of being an artist. So your hands in the mud and your wings spread. And from there, everything is possible. Your words are poetry. 
They sound just <laughs> like your songs. <laughs> Thank you. Speaking of which, my very, very, very favorite song of yours so far is one that talks about flying. I don't know. It's called I Don't Know. I, I, I love that. Yes. Thank you. Yes, I love that. Flower colored bright. I am strong. I can fight. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Tower brick and storm make my way on my own. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how. If I am fly, can I fly now? Are my wings strong enough to bear the winds out there?
Do you have a favorite song? I mean, I should say at the moment, I suppose there's so many. They change all the time, as you must imagine, you know. But um, I think one of my favorite songs is called Follow Your Heart. It's from an album called Jeans and Jeans, which is also one of the albums that I'm most proud of. Yeah, Follow Your Heart. Here is the plane. Here is the door. Here is the boarding pass. Come aboard. You've packed your bags. You've made your choice. You've said goodbye in a tiny voice. So I wait, turn to go, telling myself I won't turn back. Bravely going crazy, a smile on the verge of a heart attack. Follow your heart, Another song called Waltz the Road. I think it's from that same album, which I also really love. And the road, and the road, and the car, and the car, and your wrist touching my hand. We know we are traveling far, far, but we haven't decided on where. And the sound of my name in your mouth is spicy and sweet, oh, soft as a prayer. I say, let's turn to the south. There is nothing and everything there. There's a bottle of water, a bag of dates, an orange that I can peel. I can tell you a story or sing if you want, if you're falling asleep at the wheel. We can talk about when we were kids and we thought there was nothing we couldn't achieve. Then years passed by and blinded our eyes Now we need something else to believe And a song called The Balancing Act. My angel, so much I'd like to tell you, so much you would have seen, I'd plant behind your eyes. These are three songs which are all three of them ballads. Yeah, ballads. Or it'll do it for me every time. And these three songs, I think they really touch a nerve um, for me and how I see life. And uh, yeah, so they're, they're probably my top three. Tears that gently fill your eyes Will you remember that Life is just a balancing My angel, my angel 
is just a balancing act Only that Life is just a balancing act I do want to let everyone know that you will be performing in the Bay Area November the 6th at Temple Emmanuel on Lake Street in San Francisco. And to find out more about you and your music, they should go to your website. You can, yeah. www.noasmusic.com And that's N-O-A-S-M-U-S-I-C dot com. Is there anything you'd like to um, tell people about the upcoming concert, what to expect? We're going to do our best to give you 90 minutes of a woman of heart and mind <laughs> and also an incredible man with this endless talent at her side. Again, it's a it's a deep journey. It's a very much autobiographical journey too because a lot of my songs tell my own story, but from my story, they expand to include, I think, anyone who opens their heart and mind. I will be, of course, singing and playing percussion and Gil plays guitar. I also play a little guitar in this show. And all are welcome to experience this. I'm singing, by the way, in three languages. I sing in Hebrew and English and in Yemenite, which is the language of my grandparents. In it's beautiful. Um, and that's what we're going to be presenting. Very minimalistic, very acoustic, very transparent, I think, and very, very touching. So all are welcome. Well, I'm looking forward to your concert, and I'm sure minimalist, though you say it is, <laughs> as deeply soulful as it is, I'm sure it's going to fill the entire space and the entire city, at least. So, okay. Noah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much for this interview, Prima. Todaraba, shalom. Okay, shalom. Take care. So, Noah's concert here in the Bay Area will take place on Sunday, November 6th in San Francisco. And you can find more information online at emmanuelsf.org slash events slash Noah. And on Monday, November 7th, there is an event at the Berkeley Center for Jewish Studies called Music and Activism, a conversation with Noah. Check out the events page on their website for more information. I'm Prima J, producer and host of The Source of Music. Thank you for joining us today. And special thanks to Byron Gordon for facilitating the interview with Noah. I hope you'll join me again next Saturday at 1 for more of The Source of Music. Until then, be well and have a great week. <laughs>